Well, hi, this is Mark Graben, VP of Improvement and Innovation Services from Kinexus, and I'm joined here today with Greg Jacobson and Jeff Roussel. We're going to be talking about the recent Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, if you guys want to each say hello. Hi, this is Greg. Looking forward to chatting about it. It was a great summit. And hi, this is Jeff. I'm looking forward to it also. So all three of us were there at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit, and this is an event it has been held every year since 2010. Uh, it was held in Miami this year, just outside of Miami. There were about 600 attendees there from, I believe it was nine different countries, but you know, it was a really broad participation from all across the U.S. Um, all, <laughs> not, not enough people from Texas. I mean, the three of us were there, but there aren't enough Texas hospitals represented, which is uh, neither, uh, that's just an observation. But, you know, we had people there from all over the place, most, mostly from health care organizations, um, leaders, CEOs, doctors, a lot of process improvement facilitators and, and specialists. But, you know, what I've noticed, at least since 2010, is that there have been a lot more CEOs attending each year. Uh, the first year, Guys, you weren't there, but I think John Toussaint asked for a show of hands how many of you are CEOs, and maybe three hands went up, and I think all three of those people were there to be speakers. Um, so that's some positive progress along the way here. So, you know, the event has really evolved and grown into something really good. So, you know, Greg, I want to hear your thoughts here. It's your second summit in a row. Um, why has it been important for you to attend, not just as CEO of Kinexus, but I mean, you're, you're a physician, you're a change agent in healthcare yourself. What were your, um, what, why is it important for you to be there? Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's an exciting place because everyone is really aligned around the fact that healthcare, we're in crisis mode. I mean, the, the state of healthcare in, in our country has the ability to improve so much. And, and even if it just had the ability to improve a little bit, it would be worthwhile. But it has the ability to improve so much with regard to the quality and the cost, providing more value to, to our country and beyond, that it, it provides a ton of energy, I think, when you are, are surrounded by people, that that's their motivation and uh, that's their uh, belief system. I think that one of the most profound statements that was made at the conference actually was at the end of Lee Memorial's, um, um, Lee Memorial's presentation where, where they said that while improvement specialists aren't clinicians per se, the work that they're doing actually saves lives. And um, that's the the thing that we, we need to recognize. And whether you're, you're doing improvement work at whatever organization you're doing, hopefully it's one that's you know, doing um, something good for the, for the world, but whatever organization you're doing, improvement work actually matters. It translates into, into real value. And from a healthcare perspective, that value actually translates into saving lives. Yeah, and it's great to see, I, I think there at the summit, that focus on quality and safety um, you know, the clinicians who were involved, um, Dr. Patrick, Patrick Conway from um, CMS, the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, was there as one of their chief administrators. And 
um, you know, that, that's a big focus, and you're right, there is a role to play. You know, you as a doctor versus me as an engineer or a process thinker, you know, the example from, from Lee Memorial that was so powerful is that they were shrinking the time uh, for stroke patients, the time to treatment, the time to, it's called what, TPA? Correct. Clot busting drug. Clot busting drug shows what a non-clinician I am, but that time to treatment can mean the difference between life and death, or from uh, an easy recovery or a difficult recovery. You know, we've got to help. You know, all of us work together to get the patient in the right place to the right clinician to give them that right care. And you know, timely care is certainly a big aspect of quality and safety. Yeah, I think that um, once you start personalizing, I thought that was a really good point that they were making also. If we're talking about the why, um, I mean, as, as improvement experts, we need, to, we need to lead with that. And let's not forget that, that numbers actually translate into people and or, you know, real customer problems. Um, kind of going back to something you mentioned, um, and I'm gonna. I know we're just gonna kind of banter and talk around. So kind of going back and forth and jumping around is not that big of a deal. But you mentioned that, that the first time you went, there was maybe a handful of CEOs in the crowd, and, and they were the ones that were speaking. When I arrived on, I think a conference started on Wednesday, but on Tuesday night they had a social. I uh, was getting some food, just randomly went up to one of these standing tables because I needed a place to put down food and there were people you know, engaged in conversation. And I started uh, chatting with the person just sitting to my left or standing to my left uh, about um, you know, the conference and what I did and what they did. And all of a sudden about 15 minutes into the conversation, I, I realized I didn't, know, I didn't know the person's title. And so I said, you know, his name is, um, I was talking with, uh, with Doug Foss um, from Ivinson um, Healthcare. And I said, so what, What's your title there? And he's like, oh, I'm the CEO. And I was like, oh, well, wow, I had no idea. For first, the humility of him in general um, uh, speaks volumes to, I'm sure, uh, how just an effective leader he is, because we definitely can see that um, as being a, a really wonderful trait of, um, of great leaders. He, he was just sort of unassuming. Just completely unassuming. And uh, But then, two, to see that you know, the first person I bumped into was actually the CEO of the of the organization um, really speaks volumes to to that and and I know that they do that one separate CEO kind of lunch roundtable type things and that's actually a big room now I mean you know I think I had what seven or eight tables kind of full of the sea level and, and that's mm -hmm. something that's just so great to see because because you know what it means it means that every one of those organizations is going to be doing better and more improvement work than an organization where the CEO doesn't know anything or doesn't really even care about lean. Yeah, but you know, I, I was I was almost equally as surprised by the number of people that I would meet that that didn't have the word lean anywhere in their title. Right, they were a nurse or a physician or uh, in some other way associated with the hospital, not in an official improvement capacity. And they were, you know, they were there to learn just as much as the improvement. I, I was I was really surprised at at two things. One, it was the diversity of the titles of the people that were attending. But, but two, I think uh, John Toussaint asked how many people it was their first Lean Summit, and the number of hands that went up blew me away. I mean, it was 600 people there, and a huge majority were there for the first time. 
And right. so I, I just thought that was pretty interesting and kept conversations fresh and um, made for some really good stories throughout the week. You, you mentioned the diversity of titles and, and you talked about positions being there. And, and I want to say something controversial here, okay, because this was the, probably the thing that, that, that frustrated me the most um, about the conference. And there was some kind of comment made in one of the early keynotes, and someone said something about, and, and physicians, you know, they're going to have to to do whatever the improvement work is, or something like that. And everyone kind of, it, it almost got a, a round of of applause there. Um, and and I was just, I was really taken aback. I mean, I think that there's this underlying opinion um, that physicians are are really trying to work improvement work and, and are, are this major obstacle um, and then that's the the problem with that is is on the physician side and 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 I, I the, this is this is the controversial part I think that's wrong I think that if you're meeting opposition from a physician um, you're either doing something where you're not communicating very well or maybe you're doing fake link and then I'm going to just go on a little rant here with some fake lean because I, I was forwarded an, an email by a place doing fake lean where the whole email is saying, oh, we've, we've built this improvement team. We've been working really hard on this. You need to accept change. And it just went on and on and on about how the you can't resist what's coming down the pipe. You know how many physicians were included in, in the changes and, and, and why why would they even have to send an email like that? Because if you're not doing fake lean and you're doing this the right way, then everyone's already at the table. No one needs to be convinced of the change because they participated in the process. And so I think that's something I'm going to really challenge. I would like to hear um, I'd like to hear more about how about how physicians are included, how they're brought to the table, and, and how the, their minds are, quote, changed versus, oh, well, they, they need to do the standard work that we're telling them to do. Well, I, I agree with you, Greg. I'll say this as, as an engineer. And, yeah, that, that moment, it, it, was, it was a bit of an uh, off-key note, if you will. Um, and and there, there was kind of awkward applause in the room. It was not a huge number of people applauding and and if I remember right it wasn't it a physician I, I don't I don't exactly. even remember I just thought I would bring up something a little controversial to, to spawn some conversation but I don't I don't even remember the the um, the who said it or why they said it but I, I remembered a little bit of the sentiment of it and I thought it would be a good topic for us to banter on yeah well, I mean I agree we shouldn't you know lean is not about forcing people to change. Um, I think sometimes there's maybe sins of enthusiasm where somebody says, hey, you know, we've got the right path and we need to go, go, go because there's a lot at stake. And I get that, but it's, it's fake progress if you're not really engaging people in change. Right. And, and kind of, there was some really great conversation about what's the right way to engage people with change. I mean, informal conversations kind of between the different uh, panels and different speeches and, and also in all the experiment stuff, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But, but, but the way I've always found to engage physicians, since we're talking about engaging physicians in this type of, of work, is one, do not try to get them out of the operating room or out of their clinic um, or out of their Gemba for a week event. It's just not going to work. It, it, it's, it's really too hard. So figure out 
how can you make them part of the process with maybe it's a 15-minute portion of a, a day, maybe it's uh, via Kinexus because your organization is using Kinexus, or, or maybe it's in a lunch hour. But, but try to include them in a way that, that makes sense because, you know, they do need to see patients. But then also include them in a way where you're fixing problems that they have, and then all of a sudden they, their eyes will open up and, and, their, and their minds will open up, and then their hearts will open up that, oh, wait, actually, we can actually fix things, and we can all become more efficient at doing this, and we can get patient waiting times to go down, and we can... We can make our job better. I'm, I'm reminded there was a, a presentation, Mark, that you probably remember, where um, it may have been in the opening keynote from Toussaint, where, where he was interviewing a, a family practice doctor, who at the end said, "Oh, you know, we've been doing this for for quite some time now, and improvement work, and I'm actually leaving the office with all of my work done, and I'm leaving on time." which was unheard of before this. It would never all get done, and he was always hours late. So that's a really compelling um, way to get people to, to engage as well. Hey, how about eating dinner with your family for a change? Yeah. Now, here, I, I pulled back, I went back to my notes, and the, and the comment that drew uh, a raised eyebrow from the both of us, actually, it was a physician saying this, but the, the exact quote I wrote down in the notes were that speaker saying, Physicians can't have veto power over standard work. And then I typed literally question, question, why did that draw applause from some people? But maybe just you know, to wrap that part of the discussion up here, it, it could come from a place where standardized work has been developed by the physicians, which is what Toyota would teach us to do. The people doing the work develop the standardized work. And then if you develop consensus within a team, go about the right way. You have evidence-based practices and you have consensus. Greg, your thoughts, like what if you really meant that you know, one doctor can't then decide, you know, I don't feel like doing it today. I veto that standard work. I mean, there, there could be situations where I think oh. that statement's totally true, that, that one individual can't just override all their colleagues. And yeah, I mean, no, I think, I, to me, the statement wasn't the part that I, I cringed. It was the the applause, and, and, and I think that applause implied that they're really struggling with physicians. Now, maybe maybe it's just a chip on my shoulder because I keep hearing, oh, physicians don't want to do lean, and, and they're not participating, and, and, and it reminds me of the time when we first met back in, back in you know, Valentine's Day of 2011 where, where you were just surprised with the fact that, I mean, you, you've been doing improvement work with only physicians? That's, that's unheard of. You're actually able to engage physicians? And um, you know the we're, physicians are simple-minded folks, but we can understand improvement principles and improvement discipline, and um, and we can get on on board just like everyone else. So, um, but certainly, I definitely agree with 100% the statement. Yeah. So hey, Jeff, you know what? You know we asked Greg why it was important for him to attend. And, you know, from from your standpoint, from your role as a VP of Sales and someone who's really taken a deep dive into lean and continuous improvement the last couple of years. What was important to you about the summit? Yeah, sure. I feel like it's a little bit, you know, these types of, of conferences when you're in a sales role, um, you can make the mistake of being a little too selfish at them and kind of caring too much about your own personal agenda. And so I, I feel like we did a pretty good job of not doing that. Um, to me, 
you know, one, meeting our, the, we, we had a number of customers, Kinexus customers at the event, and just getting to meet them and shake their hand and hear their story and, and be there to support them as they told their story, that was, that was just really awesome. Um, but in addition to that, you know, we have a chance at Kinexus to build what people need and so putting ourselves in that environment where, I mean, quite literally, literally, we were with 600 people that share our same mission of spreading continuous improvement. And so to hear what they need, to hear their complaints, to hear their challenges, you know, I think it makes us better as an organization long term so we can build solutions for them. So, yeah, I left really inspired at the end of the conference. I just I don't think I had a bad conversation while I was there. Yeah, I, I always find it incredibly energizing because um, yeah. you know, the, the work that we do is difficult. And, um, you know, I, I get emails from people, Greg, you mentioned people uh, and, and, and their struggles with fake lean. And it's easy to get sort of down sometimes. It seems like there's as much fake lean going out there as there is real lean. But an event like this, uh, it's sort of a palate cleanser and say, hey, there's a lot of people out here trying to do the right things the right way and um, that there's a lot of progress being made. I often hear from the people who are struggling. It's a kind of self-selecting uh, population there of, of people who often reach out for help. So I, I, I find the event um, kind of a good way of, of rebooting, re-energizing, getting ready to go back out there and keep up the good fight. You know, That's a really interesting point. You do self-select a little bit and kind of the analogy I'm reminded is when, when I'm being an ER doctor, you know, when I'm at being an ER physician, I sometimes need to be reminded that I'm not seeing these people at their finest hour. I mean, these people are in pain or they're sick, and and um, and and sometimes I, I would it would be very welcome if I could meet ER patients when they don't need to see an ER doctor because I could be reminded that you know these are really um, in many cases really delightful and wonderful people that I'm seeing at a point where it is their darkest hour and they're probably, you know, not the nicest person um, at times. Um, not that I don't, I see plenty of really nice people in the emergency department, but, you know, there is a phenomenon of, of ER burnout, ER doctor burnout, and that's because we're, we're probably are self-selecting um, to see people when they're not doing great. But um, I think the other thing that I found important that I was thinking about when I was listening to you, Jeff, is we, we did meet, we met a lot more of our customers than, than we were anticipating meeting. I think it was kind of, we, we, once, once the, the attendee list came out, it's like, oh, well, they'll be there, and, and this is great. It, it was also just fun to see that, that what we call a user in the system, they're actually a person. You know, <laughs> they're a real human being, and we shook their hand. And, and conversely, when I saw their them, they're like, oh, these, these are the developers, or these are the people behind this system. Oh, they're actually, they're a human that, that wants these organizations to improve, and then it kind of personalized it, because you know, our entire sales process and our support process is virtual, right? We, we do everything through um, um, web conferences and, and, and telephone. To actually uh, be able to, to meet these people, it created a, a little bit of a realness that, that sometimes we don't have on a day-to-day, -day, so... Yeah. 
Now, speaking of customers and you know, the customers there, you mentioned earlier Lee Memorial Health System uh, and, and some of their uh, process improvement leaders gave a presentation. Can you kind of summarize that and uh, you know, what, what stood out to you? Sure. You wanted, they, so, so Roger Chen and his team, one of the things I loved about it was that it wasn't just Roger Chen. He, he framed part of the conversation and then he actually brought different members of his team to talk about different areas. But what they were really talking about was their last three-year journey of prepping their senior leaders and uh, aligning their senior leaders. But really, what is, what is explaining the why look like? And, and that's what that's the story they ended up telling uh, of how do you eleven thousand person organization multi hospital system how do you get the senior leadership and, and all structures of the leaders to kind of get on the bus one understand where the bus needs to go and why it needs to go there and then start moving in that direction or, or you know maybe the, the rowboat would be better but just okay we're all going to get on this is a road this is why we're on the boat we're all going to go over here let's start rowing that's a really complicated easy thing to talk about really complicated really hard thing to actually do so um, I really I really enjoyed hearing that story of uh, what does that actually look like in real terms um, they even showed pictures of some of the of some of the whiteboard that they had drawn up kind of showing these these illustrations so your mind can kind of wrap its head around what they're trying to do and of course personally I um, loved the um, the the times where they talked about Kinexus and, and they even mentioned that Kinexus was going to be the, the next part of their next evolution the, the kind of the they're taking it to taking it to 11 and they're taking what they're what they're doing to eleven with Kinexus. So that was just personally a lot of fun. I, I don't know what your thoughts were, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, I mean to me, just you know, I was kind of struck by when we first met them. Uh, we met Roger last year, but the rest of the team was our first time meeting them and putting a face to a name. But you know, we would introduce ourselves as being from Kinexus, and they would go, "Oh, you guys are from Kinexus. You yeah. you make my life so much easier." And so that was just really exciting. I mean. You know, we say it, right? And my job in sales is to say that, but to hear it coming back was just really inspiring and really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, in general, over the last four years or so, there's more recognition of the Kinexus name. When I talk to people about what's going on, and you know, there, there's, uh, and I think there's less of an uphill battle to sort of try to explain what it is that we do, I think because more people have worked their way into that situation where they have the problem that we solve. There's been more of a evolution away from uh, just training and certifying people or just doing week-long projects or rapid improvement events. People are really working toward a culture of continuous improvement and that you know that that's where people end up talking to us. But one of the other things that jumped out, out at me in one of the presentations, so I, I, I'm probably going to write a blog post about this. I call it I call it the big round numbers, or the big round suspiciously round numbers. Where you know when you hear people talk about how many improvements are they doing per year, I won't name names. I've heard one big organization talk about you know 25,000 improvements per year, and we heard 
another presenter at the summit, I think, said 100,000 per year. And I think those are statistically unlikely to be real numbers. Nobody ever says we've done 83,000 or that we do 14,572 a year. I mean, it just makes me wonder what's the source for this data. Kinex's customers know because they're really tracking it. And so it's just I, I don't know what your reaction was to, to the big round numbers. Should I cut people some slack or is it worth <laughs> sort of challenging people on? It's okay, yeah, it's good you're doing improvement, but get real about the numbers, right? Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I have anything to say about uh, you know, whether the numbers are real or not. Perhaps they're just rounding so it's, it's easy to communicate. Um, so I could, I could play devil's advocate there. Right. Um, one thing is for certain, um, we know that unless you, um, you're, you're not going to improve something that you're not measuring, right? I mean, you talk a lot about this, Jeff, where you, you need to be able to count. So you got to keep score. And so, um, however you're keeping score, um, make sure you're keeping it, number one. But number two, people know when things aren't, when, when things are fishy. So being honest with yourself, I think, um, and when I say with yourself, with, with your organization, I think is going to uh, be really important to developing that trust. So uh, those numbers are, are awesome, is all I have to say. And uh, my, my question would be is um, that, that there's probably a lot of institutional knowledge um, in whether it's 93,000 or whether it's 13,000 or, or whatever in that. So hopefully an organization kind of recognizes that, that that's a gold mine. I mean, I, I thought that was an interesting point that we saw. We saw a number of organizations that were, were just interested in, in getting the improvements done, but then they were uh, ignoring the opportunity that they had with the institutional knowledge that was gained by doing those improvements. So making sure that you have a way to sort those, make sure you have a way to, to search those, make sure you have a way to connect ideas together. Um, I think a lot of insights about an organization can be had doing that. Yeah. So um, there were a lot of presentations at the summit. Uh, one of them it's a session they've been doing for a number of years with a, a, a number of short presentations or 15-minute presentations within the sessions called Experiments Around the Network, the network being the Healthcare Value Network, which is uh, something a lot of the attendees are uh, a part of. I encourage people to go look up the Healthcare Value Network that's run through the Theta Care Center for Healthcare Value. Um, but, but Jeff, was there anything that stood out to you in particular in those different presentations or experiments? Yeah, there, you know, there were a couple. Um, one, the, the Cleveland Clinic gave a presentation, and, and what stood out to me, they showed their improvement model, which was kind of a matrix that included organizational alignment and visual management and problem solving and standardization, and they broke out the specific steps that senior leaders, managers, and frontline staff, frontline caregivers, had to take across each of those dimensions. So I thought it was a really kind of a really concise way of putting your arms around, you know, how do you do this at scale? How do you do this across a large organization? So, so that was really interesting to me. 
And the other one, and I don't know if this was part of the experiments. It, all of the sessions can kind of, kind of come together. But, uh, and I think you tweeted something about this, Mark, where there was a, a, a slide where an orthopedic surgeon or something said that his compensation plan was designed to encourage him to do complex things to patients with good insurance. And one, it, it like completely highlighted the challenge of the compensation and the payment model in right. healthcare. But, but two, what, what got me thinking is that, you know, how interesting would it be next year if there were people from the insurance companies and, and you know, across that payment spectrum where, where we could come together and talk about those problems? Because a lot of the healthcare conversations could be, contained within the audience, within the, the summit's audience. But as you get out into the payment models, there are other kind of forces and factors that come into play. Yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, that comment was attributed to a doctor and I, I tweeted it and a couple of people responded about the doctor needing to be ethical. And, you know, he, <laughs> to be fair, the, the surgeon wasn't saying that they were performing unnecessary surgeries. They just said the incentives are driven around activity and doing stuff. It's, it rewards doing the more complicated case instead of, um, you know, physical therapy instead of um, instead of surgery, and that and that's something that has been tough for surgeons. It's it's been tough for hospitals and health systems where, like you said, Jeff, until we get the payment reform and and the payment model rewarding value instead of activity, we're going to have these dysfunctions, and uh, that's why you know I think you know to me the summit, you know, the Theta Care Center, it, it's it's about far more than just lean. They call it the lean. Healthcare Transformation Summit. Arguably, they should just call it the Healthcare Transformation Summit because it's about lean, it's about transparency, it's about payment reform, and we heard about that in all the different talks. Like, look at you know the, the presentation from the people from Wisconsin of how they're helping patients and employers make better choices of where to go get high quality care that also happens to be low cost care, and uh, that's good for the patients, good for the payers good for the employers who are paying for health care. Those are really interesting conversations that go far beyond any sort of small tweaking or continuous improvement of one piece of our health system. We need to be looking at the system. And I think that's where a lot of the really challenging thought uh, is taking place these days. Greg, I mean, what, what are your thoughts? I mean, you're there you know, occasionally working in the ER. You're trying to do what's right for the patient. How do these issues I'm curious how these issues come up on a daily basis, or, or do they? Are people just trying to survive? Yeah, I, I don't think these things are coming up in a um, extremely obvious way. So the the people that responded, oh well, that person should just do ethical things, are missing the point completely. Mm -hmm. um, and and we talk, we talk internally uh, about about growing uh, growing Connex as a company. We always say you need to incent the behaviors that you want to see. Right, and so if a payment structure is set up where if you have good insurance, you know, and a person needs a procedure, well, there's there's probably some underlying reasons why, for instance, in the UK they do um, 11 times less back operations than they do in the US. 11 times. Does that mean that? All of the people doing back operations in the U.S. are unethical? No. No. I mean, it just, 
there are, there are ways in which people's behaviors are incented subconsciously. I mean, these are good people. I mean, these aren't people who are trying to do malicious things. So what we need to do is incent health, right? And, and that was a little bit about what some of the conversations were about. Um, we need to be able to incent um, health as a, as a driver and um, keeping people healthy as a driver. And then we need to somehow figure out uh, how do you compensate for the fact that some populations are really healthy to begin with and other populations are really unhealthy to begin with. And so that's what, that's what I think there was some co you know, conversation about kind of leveling off. Okay, if we're going to pay people to be healthy, well, how do you, how do you go ahead and you know, a bunch of old people with a bunch of diseases, that's going to cost a lot more to keep them healthy than a bunch of young people with no diseases. So um, there, there is a misalignment in the way people are incented right now. That, that's anyone whose conclusion to that is people need to be more ethical are completely missing the point. Right, right. So, you know, there's a lot of uh, really meaty stuff covered at the summit, um, a lot of really serious topics. You know, thankfully, there, there are a lot of fun times as well, good conversations with folks, a chance to have a drink and catch up uh, with people and, and learn what's going on out there. Was there any other, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, anything that was maybe sort of a surprising, fun thing that you discovered one way or another during the week or during the couple of days that we were there? I love that, and I'm, I'm, I don't remember the exact slide and, and what it was said, but the, the connection between um, music and, and lean, there was some really interesting associations and I'm blanking on the trumpet, the, the trumpet Terrell player. Stafford. Terrell Stafford, who was there. And he talked about the way he practices, right? He, he said something about he does some maintenance, and then he does, what were, do you remember the three? Yeah, well, yeah, I was fortunate to be there, and you know, Terrell was there to do a session with the CEO forum. It's a shame that everyone wasn't introduced to the full thing. They just heard sort of a summary of it from John Shook. But you know, here you have a world-class performing jazz trumpet player, and he was talking about his practice routines. He spends roughly an hour a day on what he calls maintenance, which is just playing his horn and, and his lip muscles and his fingers, and basically what he says, just maintaining, making sure that he can continue doing what he's done. And then he spends you know, roughly two hours in what he calls growth mode, which is trying to learn new things very directly related to his playing skill and playing output. And then he says some days he spends up to eight hours on what he calls uh, exploration phase of trying to be inspired from really kind of wide-ranging sources and topics and, and areas. And, you know, it might sound like researching. It might even... And a cynic might say, oh, he's just goofing off and learning some random stuff. But, you know, it sounds like that helps feed his soul as a musician, his skill as a musician. I thought that was a really interesting balance. How many of us are just maintaining and never moving forward? Like, I thought there was a really um, compelling parallel there to the idea of continuous improvement. We, just can't, we can't just keep doing the same things that got us to where we are. Yeah, well, how, how many of us don't have a plan for practice, right? We say over and over again that that you practice lean, you don't talk about lean, you have to practice. And how, how nice to have a plan 
like that for something like Lean. I'll tell you, what stood out to me was the final keynote um, when John Shook said that he believes that Lean is a way to achieve peace. Because he believes that he believes that Lean's goal is to make everything better around you, and that that is the way to achieve peace. And you know, as we talk about start with why and make sure you tell them why. I think I don't know if you can be as more mission oriented than that. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and I think that was sort of surprising uh, the way that jumped out at people. John Shook, you know, he said, "Well, you know, I'm a child. I'm a child of the '60s, but." And when we talk about respect for people and lean being of, of benefit to people, uh, when, when it's peace and love as opposed to forcing people to do stuff. So this is where you know that, that idea of fake lean creeps back in. John said it really well. I've heard another leader who's currently with Toyota say, basically, if people are really upset with what's going on, it's not really the Toyota production system. When they're working with other organizations trying to help them create a culture of continuous improvement, they realize that the quick fix or the seemingly quick fix that comes with forcing somebody to change, it's not sustainable, it's not, it's not lasting. And uh, you know, Toyota has learned that from working with other organizations. I, I think that's a great lesson for others to learn. So, well, I think it's fair to say we're all looking forward to the summit in 2017, uh, Palm Springs, California. It's going to be, I think, the first week of June, which is the time slot where it had normally been instead of being here more in the middle of June. Um, so I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to be there. I'm hoping we'll do another CEO panel and that I'll get to moderate it again because there's always a lot of great gems that come out of that. But, you know, Jeff and Greg, is there one thing in particular next year that, that you would hope to see that you're looking forward to in addition to some of the things we've already mentioned. No well, more Kinex customers there. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'll kind of second that a little bit. I, I'd like to see a couple of them um, in some of those breakout sessions with data in, in front of them. I think, you know, back to your point of round numbers, you know, can, can we actually get a few of them on stage talking about specific numbers? Um, and what they've seen over Lean and how Kinexus helps them to get there. So that's my selfish request for next year. Yeah, and I, and I think uh, we, we will put in the work to make that happen. Again, we'll think of Terrell Stafford and figure out what, what growth mode, what exploration mode do we need to go into uh, to make that happen. But I think that will wrap things up here for, day, for today, talking, you know, sharing some reflections on the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit and all the different thoughts that it triggered and inspired. Um, this has been Mark Graben, VP of Improvement and Innovation Services from Kinexus. Thanks for joining us. And today, just to, to wrap up, we've been joined again by... I'm Greg Jacobson, the CEO and co-founder, and Jeff Roussel, Vice President of Sales. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast series. I hope you'll subscribe to the Kinexus podcast, listen to... Uh, the webinars and uh, the, the blog post recordings, and we'll probably do more conversations like this within people on the Kinexus team. If you have ideas for topics or things we should talk about, uh, shoot me an email, mark at kinexus.com, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening.